0: Today we're coming out of Mark's Gospel, the 10th chapter. We've been in Mark now for the last 10 weeks, counting this week, and we're going a, a chapter at a time. We'll finish up this part of Mark next week with chapter 11, and then the uh, four Sundays preceding Easter, and then on Easter we'll do the last five chapters of Mark, 12 through 16. I love the book of Mark. I, first of all, it's it's my uh, I'm, I'm named Mark. I don't know if that was a plan by my parents or not, but I, I love the Gospel of Mark. He's to the point. Uh, he's poignant, but he gets right into it. He gets a lot of his message from Peter, uh, theologians tell us. So here's Peter redeeming himself with a, with a graceful message. And then the title is We're Leaving Our Mark. And so it's important that we leave our mark. And a lot of times we leave our mark through a testimony. You can't have the word testimony without the word test in it. And so we have all these tests that we go through, and then they become a testimony on the other end. By how we handle the test becomes a testimony. By how we handle the testimony becomes how we leave our mark. And then in leaving, in leaving our mark, we have this, this aptitude of challenges that says, wait a second, there, There's man, there's a church there or a person there or a group there. And James and John come to Jesus in the 10th chapter, and we'll read it here in a minute, and I think they want to leave their mark but there's a little bit of self-centeredness there. There's some self-righteousness going on, and Jesus kind of flips the script. Now, James and John do uh, three or four things that are right on. They're they're spot on, as you would say, in the South, but they're with wrong motives. And so we have to be careful that we do things with the right motives, okay? And James and John are called the, the sons of thunder. In fact, Jesus calls them that, the sons of thunder. And they're, they're used in the first service. I used my... Oldest son Marcus, uh, uh, as as an example, uh, if you move furniture, you want to move furniture with Marcus. He's like a little bit of a bull in a china shop. He'll pick up anything and everything, but he doesn't care what he messes with along the way. Like you are going to have to repaint something after he helps you move furniture. You're going to have to do get one of those plaster repair kits and 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 hit change the, the wall a little bit. There's going to be some damage done, but he's going to get it moved with you. It, it's a, so you, you take the bad and the good together. That's James and John. And by the way, those type of people make amazing evangelists. They make amazing evangelists. A, like you? Like Marcus runs our uh, some of our outreach ministries and some of our, and it, it, he gets things done. You're know, right. Like there, him and Andrew. Andrew's our other son, and Andrew's on the Andrew helps lead the worship team and writes songs, and he's poetic and he's 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 like a deep thinker. And I listen. I, sometimes I don't think Marcus thinks about it a whole lot. He just does it. You know, right? Like Andrew's gonna think it through. And and I love that about both of them. In this particular case, Mark is a lot more like James and John. They don't think about it. Now later on in their ministry, they they, they turn into Andrew. They're they're thinking about it. This is like John sees his brother James get beheaded and it's like, well, I'm gonna think this thing through a little bit more. Well, James and John come to Jesus in this in the scripture that we're gonna read, and they haven't really thought it all the way through, they thought it out, they do four things that I'm going to teach you today that are really good, that will help you leave your mark, but they do them for all the wrong reasons. Let's go to Mark, the 10th chapter, start with verse number 35, we'll read through 40. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left hand, in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know for sure what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the cup that I drink of, or you be able to be baptized with the baptism of which I'm baptized? And they said to him, quickly, by the way, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink, and with the baptism of which I am baptized, you will be baptized, but to sit at my right hand, or on my left, it's not mine to get, to give or to grant, but it is for those who, to whom it has been prepared. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's blessed, it's, it's anointed, it's fresh, it's new every day. Father, the Lord, is, as old as we think it is, it's new every day, it's fresh. So help us to take this, this portion, this story. Help us to learn from James and John. Not necessarily do what they did with the motive, but do it with the motive of you. Open our hearts right now to receive. And here in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. Praise God. I love James and John's heart. I love their attitude. I love their eagerness. These guys, especially John, were dynamic people in the New Testament. James didn't last as long as John, but there, there's a spirit there. There's, there's a heart there. But let's go to verse 35 for just a second. I want to tell you a little story I've shared before, but you have to, you have to rehear, it. you have to resee it for a second. So that last part, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask If you. I, I like that word, whatever. And I think James and John are kind of coming to Jesus because Jesus has said, if you shall ask anything, in my name, I will. do do it. But I know that in the scriptures, not everything that Jesus did or said is condensed to just the New Testament in this book. There's a lot, lot, lot more. In fact, John says, and I suppose if everything that Jesus did was written, the volumes of the book the world could not contain. And so we know that not everything is here. It's condensed. And we know that Jesus probably put some qualifiers. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Like it's got to be the Father's will. Our Father, which art, in heaven. I will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's qualifiers here, and they're kind of saying like, well, whatever you want, whatever you do, and I I draw that word out, whatever, because uh, about a year, year and a half ago, our, our granddaughter, Selah, our only granddaughter, we have four grandsons, wonderful, beautiful, we we love them all, uh, but Selah, she's got Grammy's heart just a little bit, and, and our daughter-in-law, Charity, is as frugal as you're ever gonna meet. Uh, she's she's a budgeteer. She knows the apps. She knows the websites. She knows if Marcus spends like you know 20 cents more than he's supposed to. And there's the I mean it is budgeted, all right? And 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 I appreciate it about her because it's budgeted in a good way and knowing Marcus and that James and John mentality, he may just spend it all on missions. Like he called me when he was in college and we'd given him some money to go on a missions trip. He had like $350 left over, He was, and he said, Papa, there's a local missionary here. Uh, she's a local, and she, she funds her own missions, and like she she needs. By the way, uh, 80% of the world live on less than $10 a day. 80% of the world live on less than $10. Per, Two billion people in the world today will wonder if they're going to have water or not. So we're a very spoiled country, right? We're a very blessed and spoiled country. And so he called me and said, I've got this money you guys gave me, left over. this local missionary. She, I mean, her monthly budget is, is less than $300. Papa, we could, we could support her for the next, you know, two or three months. Do you mind if I give her that money? I said, Marcus, no we don 't mind. we gave it to you it 's yours. You go ahead and give it, so he gave it to her, and but so that 's how Marcus would be. Marcus would be like he would give it all away. you know he needs charity in his life to help with the budgets, the payments, and all those things and now other people are like that too. Well, I noticed that Selah, uh, her her pants were were becoming uh, caprice. <laughs> And her capris were, were, were becoming shorts. And her dresses were becoming long shirts with, with leggings underneath. And I thought, and one day she, she had an outfit on that, I, I mean, it was, it looked, it was, she had outgrown it, let's just put it that way. And I told Janie, I said, honey, you need to take her to the store, just buy whatever she wants. And I should have said, whatever she needs. There's a difference. There's a difference between wants and needs. Are you with me? And you don't tell a shopper, to go teach a younger shopper to buy whatever they want. Or does that mean what? And so Janie said she picked up Selah at that time. I think Tuesday was her day. She picked up Selah on Tuesday. And, and uh, Selah, Poppy said that we can go to the store and I can buy you whatever you want. Well, It registered. I mean, she, she got it. She totally understood. She was only two or two and a half at the time. She, she's telling everybody at Target and at Belk and at wherever else they went, they went to three or four stores that day, my poppy said, Grammy can buy me whatever I want. And only the V came out like a B, so whatever I want, I can buy whatever I want. In fact, they went back the next week, and Sailor thought this thing was continuing. Like, she could do, I could get whatever. Bobby said, I could buy whatever. And Grammy was saying, no, that only happened one time. And it probably wasn't even smart for us to do it that one time, but we did that one time. I was at church, and Janie sent a picture, and they were in our kitchen on a rug or a floor, and she had everything. She had everything that she wanted around there, and, and uh uh, Janie said, uh, Selah said to tell you, thank you. <laughs> I think sometimes we do that as believers. We think that the Lord is just kind of our genie in a bottle, and he's going to give us whatever we want. And James and John certainly thought that. Well, you're going to get whatever you want, Lord, you said. And I think in part that's true, but I think it, we have to make sure that it lines up with kingdom principles, We have to make sure that it lines up with kingdom theology. We need to make sure that it lines up with kingdom will. That this is God's will for us. And then we know it's His will for healing. We know it's His will for salvation. We know it's His will for uh, relationship building. We know a lot of things are His will. We know forgiveness is His will, right? We know these things are the will of the Father, but we know that when we say whatever you want, whatever we ask for. So I think maybe they came with the wrong motive, and we'll walk through a couple things. One of the things, and it's my first point, that Mark doesn't speak of, but Matthew does, and Matthew was a disciple as well. He said that James and John, the sons of thunder, Zebedee, came with their mother worshiping Jesus. And this is the first thing. This is the first thing they do right, but they do it with the wrong motive. And I want to tell you, when you worship from a pure heart, it opens the door of heaven. I mean, all of heaven is open. When you worship today, whether you worshiped online or you worshiped in-house, the doors of heaven were open and you have the Father's heart. I, I, when I saw that picture of Selah that day and all those little things were around her and I saw the smile on her face and I heard what she was telling the different people in the stores and the, that they went shopping at, it just touched my heart. When you worship the king, it touches his heart, church. It grabs the heart of the Father. Zephaniah 3 says that when we sing, rejoice, and shout to the Lord, that all of a sudden God sings, rejoices, and shouts back over you. And so he joins in. This is a beautiful thing that you're just not worshiping your, on your own. It's like, oh, well, I don't know if I like the song, or maybe uh, this charismatic movement is new to me, or what's up with the lights, or the fog, or whatever. Don't You're not worshiping that anyways. You're worshiping the king. You're worshiping Jesus. And when you worship, just like that, the words of that song, when we see worship, he sees faith. He sees the fact that he knows what you're going through. He knows that you got laid off. He knows that you got a virus. He knows that the economy's not where you want it. He knows that there's political tension and unracial unrest. He knows all the things of it. You came on a Sunday morning and you worship the Father. He sees that and he shouts back over you. James and John came worshiping for the wrong reasons. If I worship the Father, I'll get what I want. No, that's not the right reason. I worship because he's already saved me. He's already forgiven me. He's already said he loves me. He's already done these things. If he doesn't do anything else for me at all, he has my worship. He has my praise. But the good thing is, When you do worship, all of a sudden, you you have his attention. When the girls were younger, Jessica and Jill, our two oldest daughters, they were, uh, Jill was, oh, probably ninth or tenth grade, and they're 18 months apart, and so Jessica was two grades behind, but uh, only 18 months apart. So maybe 13 and 15, or maybe 15 and 16 or so, and uh, Jill was a cheerleader, and and. uh, Every it seemed like every year they changed the cheerleading outfit. I mean it might be something as silly as going from a green bee for Brian to a yellow bee or a white bee. I mean, but you gotta buy the whole outfit all over again everything's got to be different. And Jessica played sports and she played on travel teams and they, they want all their money up front. You know, softball and then basketball and then track and field and then volleyball and all these things. And so I'd come home from work and by the way, I started losing my hair in my mid-20s, okay? And so this is all they've known. I'd come home from work and jessica and jill would they'd come sit on the couch by me and i thought that's i mean that's not you know dad looks at his girls differently i mean you know they're my they're my girls they're my daughters papa how you doing good honey how you doing good did you have a good day i had a good day today well how how was your day it was good papa really good day and then they would say they would try to compliment me and then jessica would say papa i really like your hair I'd start reaching for my billfold. I wanted to protect that. Because I know that they were trying to flatter me, which the Bible says not to do. And then they would say this, these key words, Janie still, they learn from the best. Janie we still says it today, I was thinking maybe we. That means I and my. Mark, I was thinking maybe we and Jessica or Jill want needing a new outfit or needing a new glove or needing new spikes or tennis shoes. or. Papa, I was thinking maybe we. But it would open my heart. And not that you worship to manipulate God, but when you worship in a true, passionate, humble fashion, you have the ear of the Father. I mean, you have their ear. Are you with me? So worship opens the door of heaven. This is what James and John were trying to do but didn't succeed. Number two, then, they asked for a seat at the table, which is a beautiful thing. Hey, do you mind if I sit on the right, and could I sit on the left? I mean, they want a seat at the table. It's important for us, and they, were, they thought they were going to set up the kingdom here on earth, like Jesus is going to overthrow the Roman power, the Sanhedrin court. He's going to get the Jews all out of the way, and we've been traveling them for three years, and here it goes. It's like sometimes we quote the word of God to, to damn people to hell in order to give them a lifesaver. Where we throw the book at them and we should be throwing a lifeline to them. We get all religious and legalistic and and all they need to know is there's grace out there somewhere. That someone loves me just enough to overlook my problems and my failures and my flaws right now so that they can at, at least introduce me to who Jesus is. And Jesus flips the script on him and says, basically, if you read the rest of the chapter, listen, I didn't come that you guys could serve me. I came to serve. I didn't come so I could be the first. I came so I could be the last. And if you want to serve me, you're just going to have to leave all that stuff. What's what's it, What are they leaving? They're leaving those ambitions. They're leaving the those desires of worldly uh, politics or, or worldly potential or, or worldly power. And they're saying, no, Lord, it's all on you. It's because of you that I want to be this way. I don't want to get a Seat at the table, though we have a seat at the table if we're Christ followers. Jesus has given you a seat at the table. It's like you're here, yeah, pull up a chair. And Janie has a, a the kid's over, she has, you know, friends over or something, she, a lot of times will say, well, I think so-and-so should sit here, or the kids should sit here, or we'll sit here, and they'll sit there, and Jesus is saying, listen, the, as far as the place at the table, that's not mine to give, that's my Father in heaven, but you you have a seat at the table, and if, again, you're a Christ follower, you have a seat at the table, but there's a, a law in the Old Testament, there's a law, a cultural law in the Middle East called the Badanian law, and that law is David quotes in, in Psalms the 23rd chapter and the fifth verse he says for you have prepared a place for me at the present at the presence or the table of mine enemy you anoint my head with oil my cup overflows and now those two part of that verse doesn't go together it's like you have got me seated right here with my enemy and yet you're going to bless me and what he's really saying because of what Bourdain law is is that wherever there was an enemy Middle Eastern culture still today is you, if you open the door to that enemy, you allow them into your house. You let them sit at your table, eat at your table. None of the current military could do anything to harm them. And so even though there is a demonic presence sometimes in the world floating around, when you've allowed yourself a seat at the, at the head of the table, if you've allowed yourself a seat at the table of Jesus Christ, when you dine with him, when you sub with him, when you, when you are served by him, there's not a devil in hell that can attack you or have any authority over you in your life because you're part of the king's. Now think about that. You need to walk away. Some of you just need to grab a hold of that for a second because you think the enemy's attacking you, but yet what has happened is God's allowed you a seat at the table, but now he's going to bless you through that trial. He's going to bless you through that trouble. He's going to bless you through that circumstance, and the end is going to be far better than the beginning because you've learned how to traffic through those things. Amen? God has taught you and he showed you. But, excuse me, but he also wants us to go out and get people to be able to get a seat at that table as well. The people who are not Christ followers are not our enemy. They're simply people that Jesus wants to invite to the table. Can you say amen? Amen means I agree, pastor. So be it. Be done to me according to his word. See, we have to know that the people who don't think like us, act like us, vote like us, look like us, share like us, that they're not the enemy, that they are simply people that God wants at the same table as us. They are simply people that God wants to invite. He invited us. Someone prayed for us. We need to pray for someone. We need to invite someone. We need to share with someone. We need to be able to say, hey, uh, James and John wanted to sit at the table. Great, stop there. Don't ask for the right or left. And by the way, because they did that, the other ten disciples were irate. You'll make people mad when you start talking to people that don't look like you, act like you, or think like you. They'll call you legalistic. They'll call you liberal. They'll call you religious. They'll call you self-right. They'll call you everything when you decide to start being like Jesus. Because even the church doesn't recognize what it looks like to be like Jesus. Because we've clouded ourselves in a little small crowd where we just all think alike, look alike, and act alike. But Jesus wants to blow that box up, right? And He wants to say, "Wait a second. Let's just invite people to the seat at the table. If we just invite him to the seat at the table, the rest is up to Jesus. Jesus is going to serve him. If we get him to the table, we can get him." Fellowship, we can get them to understanding, we can get them to we can get them to growth in Christ, and then the rest is up to them and God. But they asked for a seat at the table. Number three, then baptism. They needed to understand baptism. Jesus says, Are you gonna be can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? Oh, yes, we can right away. Eagerness. Yes, we can do it. I'll do anything. Let me sign here. Lord, I'll do anything for you. If you get me out of this trouble, God, I'll do anything. Have you maybe prayed that prayer? Or do you know somebody that's prayed that prayer? Oh, God, if you just get me out of this trouble, I will, my, I will Lord, I will, I will promise. I will, I will attend church next Sunday. I promise, Lord, I will give. I brought my promise. And then a couple of weeks later, what we do? We slide right back, don't we? And James and John, they write then, I, yes, we'll do it. And Jesus said, indeed, you will be. You will be baptized with the same baptism that I'm baptized with. There's four baptisms. I'll go through them really quickly in Scripture. We won't spend a lot of time on four baptism in Scripture. The first one is water baptism. We understand that. We know that water baptism is the outward sign of the inward thing that happens when we get saved. Baptism, water baptism does not save us. That doesn't secure a place in heaven for us. Water baptism simply acknowledges that I've received Christ as my Savior. I've turned my life over to Him. Now I'm going to get water baptized. And some people go back and do their first works over. Maybe you got baptized at a real young age, but now you're a mature and you're faithful, you're a believer. Well, maybe you get water baptized again. We'll start water baptisms again next year. The second one is what we call the baptism of the brotherhood. Paul talks about it in Acts, uh, the 13th chapter. Peter talks about it in his his messages as well, that there's a, a baptism of brotherhood that when someone becomes a Christ follower, they're immediately a part of the family. They don't have to earn their way in. I'm the youngest of eight. When I was born, they didn't make me earn the name. They just gave it to me, Mark Dolphin's. I had seven brothers and sisters that helped raise me because the older four were much older than I am, 9, 10, 11, and 12 years older than me. And so they, they helped potty train me. They helped me walk. They changed my diaper. They, they babysat me. They took care of me. They, they knew I was part of the family. In the church, sometimes we don't do that. A new believer, we expect them to be mature just like that. That's not how it should be, Church. When new people come in, we have to coddle them a little bit. We have to baby them a little bit. We have to disciple them a little bit. We have to mentor them a little bit. We have to encourage them a little bit. We have to walk alongside them until they can walk on their own, until they eventually become a mature believer like us. But if we're always looking for the handhold, we can't hold hands. We have to, Paul said we have to get off the milk and we have to join some meat and eat some meat every now and then. That's the baptism of the the believer. Then there's baptism of the Holy Spirit. We believe in in the Holy Spirit. We believe in, in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit is subsequent after salvation. In other words, you have to be saved first, and then you can be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And there's many different thoughts out there. Well, is the first initial evidence speaking in an unknown language? It can be. It probably is. However... There are people that I know that are filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they speak in uh, they speak in an unknown language. They speak in their tongue language, but they don't pay their taxes. They run around on their spouse. They they don't they they don't they don't do a full day's work. They they don't they don't they don't. But they're baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I know people that are baptized with the Holy Spirit. They've never spoken in tongues, but they pay their bills on time. They give to the church. They show up. They're faithful. They... So there's a conundrum here that says, wait a second, is this the baptism or not? I say, here's what it is there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit. You need to ask for that daily. Father, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Help me to be like you. Help me every day to be like you. Help, help me get, listen, I want to get all of God that I can get. Amen? I want to get that peace, I want to get that joy, I want to get that love. It's not just speaking in a prayer language. And we say it this way. Some people say, I got the Holy Spirit. I would rather the Holy Spirit got you. Because if the Holy Spirit has you, then he can move you like a piece on the, uh, on the chessboard or the checkerboard. He can use you. He can call you out. Sometimes we think of the Holy Spirit as a finality. Man, I've got the Holy Spirit. Praise God. But again, it's better if the Holy Spirit gets you. Last but not least, the baptism of suffering. And we don't say this a lot. Like, we don't walk around. Like, a lot of people, I want, man, I, I want the gift. I want the gift of giving. I, I want the gift of faith. I want the gift of prophecy. I want, the, I want the gift of knowledge. I would love the gift of wisdom. I think most women have the gift of understanding and wisdom. It comes easy for them for some reason, maybe because they're producers, I, I, I love those, those gifts. Very few, if any, people walk around saying, Man, I really want the gift of suffering. Lord, would you just make me feel that pain a little bit more? Nobody asks for that. And if you do, come see me because I want to pray for you, because there's nothing that's not working. We don't ask for that, but Jesus is like, no, you're going to have to walk through this baptism of suffering, James and John, and by association, some of us, if not all of us, will have to walk through that baptism of suffering as well. So understand that sometimes God doesn't put those things on you, but certainly sometimes he allows you to walk through the baptism of suffering because he wants you to make sure that you are worshiping for the right reasons. If you got money in the bank, if you got a job, if your house is paid for, kids are doing good and everything's great, man, it's easy coming to church and just worshiping him. But none of those things are going right. If they're ready to take the house back, if you lost your job, if you've been sick, the kids are running wild, and all of a sudden you come to church and you just got to get in a place of worship, God knows he can use you. God knows that this, now that's a child right there. They understand the bigger picture. So there's an understanding there of baptism where James and John, they just wanted seats at the power table. They did not want seats that said, hey, we're going to be suffering. But Jesus called them out. Jesus says, no, wait a second, you're going to suffer. It's going to happen. There's marriages that might go bad. There's people that might go bankrupt through this thing. There's, there's people that may, they, they, their loved ones might die. It's going, there's going to be suffering, but wait! I'm never going to leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. You're mine. You are mine. This is a promise that God has made. You're His. Now, now, now it's a faith walk, right? And see, we don't we don't love to talk about suffering in church, because you know the best is yet to come, and I'm an overcomer, and I'm a believer, and all those great things, and they're all true. It's all good. But there will be a day that suffering will take place. And you need to know that while suffering takes place, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Six years ago, my wife got deathly sick. And many of you know it because many of you were there. She got deathly sick. She nearly died. She had a really low survival rate. And when we were walking from the ICU and she finally got moved out of ICU into post ICU, I told the kids, Mama's going to make it, but I promise you this. Had the Lord taken Mama home, God is still good. God is still good, church. Whatever you're going through, God is good. He's a good, good father. He's a good, good father. Amen? And then the very last thing, can you drink from Jesus' cup as the worship team comes back? Can you drink from Jesus' cup today? If, If Jesus allows you to go through some things do you give up on him? If Jesus allows you to, to, to get laid off, do you give up on him? If Jesus allows you to get sick, do you give up on him? If Jesus allows the relationship issue in your, your, your life to go south, do you give up on him? No. He says, can you drink from my cup? There's a cup of suffering. There's a cup of salvation. There's a cup of praise. There's a cup of worship. Even at the, at the last supper, Jesus would have had four cups on the table. Uh, Scripture only identifies one, drinking that. But the Jewish tradition would have been four cups. One would have been a sacrifice. One would have been redemption. One would have been praise. One would have been salvation. He said, can you drink from these cups with me? Sometimes we stay at salvation and we don't enter into praise. Sometimes we stay in praise, but we don't enter into a redemption where the Lord redeems our life and he, he takes away stuff in our life that he doesn't want in there. Sometimes we enter a redemption, but we don't enter into that, that sacrifice. And sometimes sacrifice looks like suffering. And We don't sacrifice or suffer for our glory. We sacrifice and suffer. Lord, what are you doing in me that's going to make me a stronger believer? What are you doing in me that's going to make me a, a stronger follower? What are you doing in me that's going to be a stronger witness? What are you doing in me that's going to glorify you? Stand with me today right where you're at, if you would. And I just want you, just for a moment, just, if you would, just close your eyes and just and just think this for a second. Am I asking like James and John, self-centered prayers self-centered needs or am i asking what jesus would want me to ask and that's christ-centered prayer or christ-centered needs and i i know in this year is as weird and as difficult as this year has been that we're gonna have to ask for things lord would you help us with finances would you help us with uh uh, physical healing would you help us lord with a spiritual growth would you help us lord with these things we have to ask but we have to ask him for the right reasons and the the right way. So examine yourself just for a moment and say, okay, Lord, am I asking for these things because I want power and persuasion, because I want things that make me look good for ego, or I'm asking for these things that say, Lord, this is the best, Lord, for, for you. This is the best for your kingdom. This is the best for your glory. This is the best for the, Lord, this is the best use of, Lord, even my time in praying, seeking pray for you. And then while we worship this next song, just allow the Holy Spirit to, to, to meditate. Just allow the Holy Spirit to minister. Just allow the Holy Spirit to deal with you. Maybe there's some things that we're asking for that that we don't need, or we don't need now. Or the Lord says, that's a good ask, but it's a wrong motive. Father, I pray we ask, when we ask it, how we ask it. Lord, just because of you. Lord, it's in you and through you. I pray you bless each person. Thank you for who they are. Thank you for Grace Church. Thank you for Lord, the love that they have, the forgiveness they have. And Lord, I continue Lord, to say challenges, challenges,
1: Thank you for joining us for today's service. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by investing today. You can give at www.gracechurch.tv slash give or by downloading the app and select give. We can't wait to see you next week.